Our second Bible reading for for tonight, which is what John will be preaching on, is Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. So I encourage you to get it out in your Bible so that you can follow along while John's preaching. Um, So you can find it on page 1030 of most of the Pew Bibles. So that's Matthew chapter 20, 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others waiting around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is God's word. Sorry, Crystal. Thanks, Crystal. Well, this uh, evening I had my part to play in their baptism before our service. The three girls, they were very nervous. And I said to them, well, just make sure you don't tumble over and make a fool out of yourself and That was my encouragement to them, so that didn't happen, and it's all good. But it is an encouraging day as we witness uh, their profession of their faith in the Lord who loves and saves. And as we turn to this passage, we'll be reflecting in light of what we've just witnessed. So let's join in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness to us, your grace and mercy as we have witnessed in the symbol of the baptism. We pray, Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this parable now, that you might help us see more of who you really are towards us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so let's think about what we have observed tonight. What do you think really did happen in the baptism of Rachel, Jemima and Sarah? Like for many of you, it might be a new experience, a new thing that you've seen. For some of you, you've seen it before, but what did it express? Did it express a cosmic transaction between these girls and God, some transaction that was happening. You know, I'll follow you, God. I'll be baptized in your name because I know that if I do that, I will get things like eternal life. I'll get things like heaven 
I'll get a place in heaven with you. I mean, that's a good exchange. And if you do accounting, that's pretty simple accounting. It, it works out well. It's worth it. Now, you see, for many people, and perhaps for some of you here tonight, that's perhaps how you might think about God. That's perhaps how you think God works, that there is this big cosmic bargaining, this cosmic transaction that we make with God. I'll scratch your back, God, if you scratch my back. I'll worship you, God, but you must bless me. Late last year, I had the opportunity to go uh, back to Yvonne's uh, country of birth, to Vietnam. That was my parents' country of birth as well. And it was everywhere, this notion that we as humans can bargain with God. It was everywhere. You know, we stayed at a distant relative of ours, and right at the entrance of their home, high up, there was this shrine, these little gods, these statues of the gods they worship. And every day, they would be bargaining with this god. They would put plates of fruit, incense, and so every morning we'll wake up and we'll smell the incense. They're making a deal with God. They're bargaining with their god. And it was everywhere. That scene was everywhere, in every home, in every restaurant, bargaining with God. I'll scratch your back, God, if you scratch mine. I'll offer you this fruit, this incense, if you give me wealth, if you give me success, if you give me health. And of course, I'm sure you know, as I do, that that's not just Vietnam, is it? It's pretty much the way it is with most of the religions of the world. I'll do something for you, whatever you are, whoever you are, and you better do something for me. Even in this country, even in this nation, even in this Christianized culture like ours, many people think, I'll go to church twice a year. I go at Easter and I go at Christmas. I've done something for you now, God. You've seen me in church. You better do something for me. You see, for many people, that seems fair. You know, quid pro quo, the Latin, something for something. That's how many people think about God. That's how many people think God works. In fact, that's how many people work even amongst their friends. I'll do something for you if you do something for me. But is that what really happened this evening? Some cosmic transaction. Is that what God is like? Is that how God functions? Something for something. I'll scratch your back, you'll scratch mine. Well, what we're going to see today in this passage should shock us. It should shock us as we are confronted by the God of the Bible, the only God there is, the God that Rachel, Jemima and Sarah profess to believe today. He's not like that. And so what we have here is a parable. It, it's, it's a simple story. It has a surprising ending. But it has, it teaches a shocking lesson. Simple story, surprising ending, but teaches us a shocking lesson. So let's have a look. Do keep your Bibles open, and if you are a visitor here, those next to you, please help the person next to you find that page. Well, what we have here is really a simple story. A landowner, he goes out to hire workers in his field. He goes out five times this day, five times to hire workers, Early in the morning, the third hour, which is 9 a.m., the day starts at 6 a.m., so the third hour is 9 a.m., and then it goes out at 12 p.m., 3 p.m., and then 5 p.m., five times it goes out. Now, in a society like that about 2,000 years ago, where there are no trade unions, 
no employment contract, no job security, no public welfare, no Centrelink like what we have. Getting work meant your livelihood. Getting work meant you have money to buy food for your family. Getting work meant you would not die from starvation. In fact, day labourers, like we see in this parable, they were the, 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 in the worst situation. They had the least job security. Even the slaves of the day had it better off because they were always provided for. The, the masters had a vested interest in their slaves, but not day labourers. And so in such a society, landowners could do whatever they wanted with these day labourers. They go to the market during the day and they'll just hire whatever. They can do anything with them. They can underpay them. They can exploit them. There's no fair work ombudsman breathing down their backs. But in this story, in this parable, this landowner, he's a fair man. Have a look at verse 2. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them to his vineyard. Now in denarius, that was the currency of the day, one denarius was worth one day's wage. And so what's that in modern dollars? Well, I checked up our minimum wage here in Australia, so you better know this if you pay less than this, then it's not right. Minimum wage is $17.70 per hour. So if you're working for less than that, something's wrong. So if you're working at Macca's, minimum wage, you'll earn $140 a day. A fair day's pay for a fair day's work. And so this landowner goes out. The first bunch of workers chosen early in the morning. So just think about that scene. The marketplace, these people are just waiting around to get work. All these different landowners were coming to the marketplace, getting and picking the fittest ones, the strongest ones to work in their vineyard. I mean, if I was one of these boss and I'm looking at you bunch in the marketplace, do you know who I would hire to do hard manual labour, heavy lifting, labour-intensive work, I'll pick a guy back there, Owen Harris. <laughs> Big, strong, he's from the country. They make him tough out there, and he knows how to deal with cows. So he's a strong man. I'll hire him, I'll take him. I'll get him back to work, and I'll just overlook the rest of you. So here's the first pick. Now, this landowner, that was the first uh, bunch of guys, Owen Harris, he picked. He goes out four more times, 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m., and then 5 p.m. But notice with these other workers he hired, they, they don't agree on a wage. He just says, I will pay you whatever is right. Now, you have to imagine what was left in this marketplace with, with these workers who were hanging around looking for work. I mean, each batch of workers he was hiring throughout the day, they were getting worse and worse. They were getting skinny and skinnier. They're getting thinner and thinner. They're, they're the, by the end of the day, they're the hopeless ones. And so after Owen, the strong one, he's gone. I'm looking around. I'm the landowner. Next, I'm going to pick. Oh, it's not too many more to pick from. Oh, I'm left with the skinny ones like the Sam Moody and, <laughs> and a Harry Lee and an Irwin Yee, these sticks, and a Isaac Jones. I mean, they're, they're no Owen Harris's. And I know you four, you guys go to gym a lot. <laughs> I know that. You pump a lot of iron. But you'll never become an Owen Harris. <laughs> but by this time of day, I'll just have to settle for you four. <laughs> but then we come to the last batch. 
Now, it's already 5 p.m. That's the 11th hour in our story. It's, in fact, where our English saying comes from, the 11th hour. It comes from this parable. So it's almost the end of the day. Not much daylight left. And, of course, not much time left to work. And so what happened? Look at verse 6. About the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Now, some of us might be thinking, well, they're probably uni students. They had nothing to do. But that was not the answer. They said in verse 7, because no one has hired us. And so the landowner said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, you have to understand, at this point in the day, all the landowners, they've come and they've taken their pick. They've picked the strongest, the fittest. We're left here now by the end of the day, those without work. They would have been your weakest. They would have been the worthless one. Perhaps a, a leg missing, an, a hand missing. They're the ones that no other landowner wanted to hire. But this landowner, he hires them anyway knowing that there's only one hour left to work before it gets dark. And so who gets picked now? Who gets picked? Well, the likes of Rachel and Jemima and Sarah. Now, I'm not saying that they are weak physically, they're losing an arm or a leg, but bear with me. This illustration will become clearer. So they get picked, the worthless ones. They get picked and they go to work. So that's the story. It's a simple story. But now here comes the surprising ending. You see, in our society, these day labourers, they were paid each day at the end of the day so that they could buy food on the way home for their family. And now it is pay time. Verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one's height and going on to the first. Even that order, Jesus was teaching something here. And so one by one, they started with those who worked at the 11th hour at 5 p.m. in the afternoon. Those who only worked for one hour. And so Rachel, Jemima, Sarah, $140 for you. Those at 3 p.m., you know, the, the Isaac Joneses now, $140. Didn't do too much, but I'll give you $140. 12 p.m., $140. 9 a.m., $140. And now we get to the beginning, the Owen Harris's. Those from the country who worked really hard all day. What were they thinking? Look at verse 10. Well, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius, $140. Now, what will you do at this point? Well, our human principle says, quid pro quo, something for something. A day's work for a day's paid. He's worked harder than all the others. It would seem fair if the last worker was paid that much, he should have been paid more. And so what did these last workers do? Look at verses 11 and 12. They began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. They're thinking, this is not fair. We worked from the very morning. This is not fair. Even though we had an agreement, it's still not fair. But was it unfair? Well, the landowner answered, verse, verses 13 onwards. Friend, which is a very special way of addressing an employee. Friend, 
I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Or literally, in the original, it's, are your eyes evil because I am good? It's a surprising ending, isn't it, to this simple story. It sort of rubs against the grain of our normal human principles. You see, what we see here is not quid pro quos, it's not something for something, but what we in fact see here is the unreasonable generosity shown to those who deserve it least, to the worthless workers who no one else wanted, to the weakest workers who did the least work. You see, that sort of rubs the wrong way with what we think is fair. And so just recently we, we've heard the CEO of Australia Post, how much is he paid? 5.6 million. For many people, we think that's not fair. How can you earn that much? Or we hear of these sportsmen, how much they earn. I mean, tennis, Australian Open, that wasn't too long ago. They just hold a racket and hit a ball around all day. I mean, I have to sit in and write this sermon. I feel that's harder work than playing tennis. But you know how much the winner of Australian Open won? $3.7 million. And so to many people, that seems just grossly unfair. But here in this story, it wasn't unfairness that was shown. But it was great undeserved generosity to the least worthy of them. Great undeserved generosity shown to the least worthy of them. It's a surprising ending. It's not what we would expect. It's not how we would function. But of course, here is not just a simple story. Here it's not just a surprising ending. Because you see, this parable is teaching us a shocking lesson. Jesus is teaching us a shocking lesson. Jesus often uses parables to teach about God, what God is like, how God functions, and about the kingdom of heaven. There is more to this world than what you see. There is the kingdom of heaven to come. And so Jesus here, in the last verse, he says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And so the shocking lesson that Jesus teaches here, it in fact turns our world upside down. It turns our thinking upside down. And the shocking lesson is this. If you think that God needs you, if you think God needs you to be fulfilled, if you think God needs you to scratch his back, then you've got God entirely wrong. You know, the way we think God works is exactly not the way God works. Do you get that? The way we think God works is exactly not the way God works. There is no cosmic transaction between us and God. There was no cosmic transaction that happened this evening. We've got nothing to offer God at all. Nothing at all. Now, we like to think that God works on the basis of He needs us. He needs us to be complete. He needs us to be fulfilled as though He needs us to scratch His back. It's as though we, we, we imagine God being so bored from Monday to Saturday. He's just hanging around bored. He's just hanging out for Sunday morning, 10.15, 6 p.m. When the church gathers here, when we strum the guitar, when we sing, when we pray, like God is so excited about that. God does not need us. 
God does not need us to be fulfilled. God is fulfilled without us. It's not right to think that way, nor is it right to think as many people do. If I work hard, if I've lived a good life, if I live that morally upright life, honest all the time, truthful all the time, then God owes me something if I live that type of life. You see, that also is not true. That is not true. Even if we were all to live perfect lives, perfectly just and righteous and honest and truthful all the time, always sacrificial, never selfless, if we were to do that all the time, we would only be doing our duty as his creature. It's our duty to live that way. God does not owe us anything if we live that way. It is our duty. It's a bit like I'm married to Yvonne. We've been married for a bit over 13 years. This is my contribution to our marriage. Every Thursday night, I take the rubbish out. I wheel the bin to the nature strip, and I have to think. You know, it's not just doing a, a mindless job. I have to think, is it recycle week or is it not? <laughs> I take it out onto the nature strip, and then I don't come back to Yvonne and say, hey, do you see how I did that? I did that pretty well, didn't I? I, I wheeled a bin out pretty well, you know, like with, with style. I didn't trip. You know what, wife? You owe me now. You owe me now. In fact, you owe me a better dinner than you cooked tonight. Of course you don't say that, right? I would only be doing my duty as a husband. You understand? Living a good life. Living the good, moral, upright life is, in fact, for your good. God owes you nothing for that. It is for your good, just as I can't say to everyone those things. And so even if we're all to live that good, moral life, which none of us can do perfectly anyway, we can never say to God, God, you owe me now. I've just scratched your back by, by doing something good, by doing some charity. You owe me now. No, we're just doing our duty as his creature that's not how god works this is how god works god blesses because of his sheer unmerited favor god blesses because of his sheer unmerited favor god grants eternal life life forever beyond the grave not because you were good but because of his sheer unmerited favor. God brings worthless people like us, like Rachel and Jemima and Sarah, into his kingdom. Why? Because they were good? No, you heard from their testimonies. They were not good. But because of his sheer unmerited favor. It is the sovereign grace of God. It is sovereign because it rests in God's mind, his decision. He is Lord. And it is grace because it is free you see what god gives us is never payment for a life well lived what god gives us is always a gift it is always grace but now the christian message doesn't just stop there what makes this even more shocking what makes this even more unbelievable is that though all of this heaven eternal life is us to us for free as a gift from God, that God will give us all of that for free. It was at great cost to God. Free to us, but a huge cost to God. I mean, just like that landlord, it was his money he was paying with. 
this is costly to God that we could receive heaven and eternal life and a place with him forever for free. You see, just like Rachel and Jemima and Sarah, any one of us who receives this gift from God, it is free to us, but it costs God his son. That's how much it costs God. It costs God his son. This is the heart of the Christian message. The son of God sent from heaven to earth to live the life we can't, to pay the price that we should have and to die the death that we deserve so that we can be granted a place in God's eternal family. You see, it's a shocking lesson we learn here. It's a shocking lesson we learn here about God. And so now the question comes to this. Where do you stand? You see, what we witnessed today was a baptism. But today is not just about these three girls. Tonight it's in fact about you as well. It is about you because the question now is to you. Where do you stand? You really only have two options. Two options to choose from. Firstly, you can choose to get what you deserve. You can choose that. Choose to get what you deserve. You know, God, I, I don't really need you. You're very nice, but I think I can manage on my own. I, I'm, I'm just happy to just get what I deserve. Don't give me any more. I'm pretty happy. I don't want to beg. But let me say, be very, very careful that that is not what you die thinking. Be very, very careful that that is not what you die thinking because you will get what you deserve. And what do you think that is? Well, maybe you have lived that decent life, that upright, moral, good life. Maybe some of you are of great moral and noble character, did many charitable things. Excellent. God owes you nothing for that. You've only done your duty as one of his creature. But you'll get what you deserve. What do you think you'll get for each time you lied in your life? What do you think you get for each time you lusted with your eyes? What do you think you get for each time you committed adultery in your heart? What do you think you get if you live your life selfless, self, selfishly, thinking about yourself, that you're at the center of the universe? What do you think you will get? You see, in the end, you will get what you deserve. You can choose that, and you will get what you deserve. And it won't be a denarius. It won't be $140. But it will be the fair, righteous, just, indisputable judgment of God on you. And when that comes, there is horror and terror. And so be very careful, be very careful that you do not die thinking, I'm happy to get what I deserve. But there's a second option. Second option we've heard of tonight. Second option that we've witnessed tonight. You can choose to get what you don't deserve. You can choose to get what you don't deserve. You see, this is the option that Rachel and Jemima and Sarah have chosen and have professed today. And that is the option that all of us who are Christians, who follow Jesus, have chosen. You see, there's no way. How can I earn eternal life? How can I do that? How, how can I ever work my way into heaven? How can I do that? How can I ever earn a place in not just God's kingdom, but God's family? 
There is no way I can do that. But because God is that type of God, that he would generously give what we do not deserve at great cost to him, then that option is open for us if we humbly, joyfully, gratefully accept this gift from God, his son who gives us eternal life, who adopts us into the kingdom of God, into his own family. How wonderful that is. Now, I'm sure many of us here tonight are perhaps already Christians. There's a lesson for us here too, for us who already follow Jesus. Well, for us it is this. We can never forget how precious this gift is, free to us, but costly to God. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We, we make sure it's precious because now it's ours for free. And for us who already follow Jesus, we can never forget how generous this God is. I mean, he does not need us to be fulfilled, but he loves us anyway. And so we must never forget these things, and we must never forget that there is, in fact, as Christians, no better way to live in this world, no better way to live on this earth than to live knowing, along with Rachel and Jemima and Sarah, we don't need a bargain with God. That's a silly life. I can't buy God's kindness. I don't need to live bargaining with God. We, we don't need to try to earn our place with God. We don't even need to try to win God over. Because this God, out of his own unreasonable generosity, out of his own unconditional love, he has won us over through his Son at great cost to him. We belong to him. How wonderful that is. What sovereign grace. What amazing grace. Let's pray.